There we go. We're on. We're on. Well, just um, take me down a bit, please. Open your Bibles to Matthew 25. I want to, I want to share um, an encouragement today regarding God's heart. And um, <clears throat> I want to encourage us all in this place here today um, to, to just open your heart for what God wants to say to you today and be prepared for your parameters of ministry to be expanded. Be prepared for the parameters of even your heart to be expanded. Because I want to talk today about God's heart. Matthew 25. We're going, we're going, I, I want to just focus on uh, verses 41 to 43 and verse 45. Now, the, the, the context of this... Um, passage of scripture is is just much larger than what I'm going to focus on this morning. But at the outset, I want to I just bring an awareness of God's heart for the poor, and he is passionate about reaching out to those who are the least, those who are oppressed, those who may not have a lot. Because the Bible repeatedly says that God lifts up the poor. And so I believe that it's important that we capture exactly what the Bible is saying in regards to this subject. You know, um, I'm, I'm passionate about a ministry that I um, am involved in. It's called Set Free Care. And, um, and I just love the opportunity that we have to minister to those people who are just lost and they're, they're wandering aimlessly. They're, they've experienced rejection and abuse and all sorts of stuff in their life. And so as far as I'm concerned, from the perspective of this church, this is a, a, a position that this church will be um, passionate about as well, is the ministry unto the oppressed. After all, that's what Jesus said in Luke 4. He said, it's for this reason that um, he is upon us, to preach good news, to, to set captives free, to, to minister release. And so <clears throat> I want to read Matthew 25. If you're there, say, I'm there. Fantastic. I will just get there as well. Verse 41, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, this is not one of those messages of where we're, we're preaching hellfire and brimstone. It's actually an opening to see 
the incredible heart of God, the, the heart that God has for those who are the least in our community, in our society. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did you, we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So we see a very clear signal in that passage of Scripture that Jesus is talking about. Um, compassion. Empathy. A, a, a sense of, um, of heart towards those that are not doing well. As I was preparing this, I was, I was reading in um, 1 Samuel chapter 2. And it's, it's actually Hannah's prayer after she um, conceives and, and, and gives birth to Samuel. And, and her prayer is just one of incredible thanks and, and worship unto God because he, he was kind to her. It's all right. Don't worry about what's going on out there. He was kind to her. He gave her the cry of her heart. Maybe The Bible repeatedly says that God lifts up the poor. In Hannah's prayer, she says, He raises the poor. The word for poor of which Hannah is describing there is, it's actually a, a Hebrew word, dal, and it means low, poor, weak, thin, one who is lowly. And, and you know what? I, when I look around society, I see a lot of people like that in our community and, and um, who've, who've just been chewed up and spat out. And God's heart is for them as well as for us. So he's given us a, a, a ministry. And so she goes on, from the dust, he, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. I want to encourage you today, if you're, if you're feeling rejected, despised, and, and just lowly today, I want to encourage you, with God, he will... He will actually seat you with princes. He will seat you in a place of honor and a place of importance in his eyes. Many other passages in, in the Bible, Psalms 113, verse 7, Psalms 140, verse 12, 145, verse 14, talks of God's heart for the poor the commitment to uphold the cause of those who are impoverished 
and unable to free themselves from their yoke of oppression. There's nothing worse than to be locked into a place of oppression where you can't shake it off. But Jesus has come that we can actually step into a place of freedom out of that bondage, out of the oppression. And you know what? Today it might be sickness, it, it, might, be, um, it might be fear, it could be a number of things, but today there is actually an avenue for you to step into a place of incredible freedom, of open space, of where, wow, I never knew it could be this good. Such is the power of Jesus Christ. And you know, it, it is so awesome to have a relationship with someone who is that sensitive and that caring to everything that you're going through. And who actually gives you a process and gives you a way to walk in victory over those things. So perhaps you might be asking the question now, well, I'm pretty wealthy. Is wealth a bad thing? No. No, wealth is not a bad thing. Is God biased against the rich? No. And the Bible is, is very um, clear that God is impartial. He's impartial. He, he doesn't take preference over male or female, or over black or white, over rich or poor. In fact, he causes the sun to shine on both the rich and the poor, on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the rain to fall on the same. And so wealth is not a bad thing. Especially not if we're stewarding the wealth in a godly manner. But we need to watch for some things though. Do you have wealth or does wealth have you? or the desire for wealth. Wealth can harden our hearts to the poor rather than increasing our generosity. It's, it can be easy to actually trust in our wealth rather than God. I've actually met a lot of Christians that um, really strive to get to a place of where they are self-sufficient in their finances and, and stuff so that they, they wouldn't say this, but then they don't have to work so hard at their faith <laughs> to believe God to provide for their, their need. They want to come to that place of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is actually... Yeah, it's idolatry. It's foreign to the heart of God because God so wants us to be just in that place of absolute dependency on Him where we can trust Him and not lean on our own understanding as Proverbs says. 
And it's so easy to come to a place where we treasure wealth more than we even treasure people, especially the people who might be downtrodden or downcast in our, in our community or society. You know, God, God has just so worked it all out. I love the fact that God invented or he um, put into place the first and the best social security system. Scripture talks about how God's people were to share his concern for the poor. And the Lord commanded Israel not to treat widows and orphans and foreigners as the Egyptians had done. Instead, God's people were to love those on the margins just as God cared for the Israelites during the Exodus. How did God care for the Israelites in the Exodus? He gave them manna every day. He fed them morning and evening. God identifies with the poor that caring for them is almost, if we have that attitude to care for the poor, it's almost like saying, well, we're helping God. Because according to Proverbs 19.17, it says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for his maker. I don't want to be in that place of where I would snob my nose at God. He has given us a mandate. The apostle John actually issues a very strong warning. He says, if anyone who has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's a good question, isn't it? 1 John 3, 17. I want to encourage us against the, the, the traps and the pitfalls of... Um, of the world that we live in, the Western world that would say, get ahead, look after number one. Make sure that, that, um, that you're right. And it's a trap because you can actually feel that you're doing well in God because you've got so much. But in actual fact, you're failing to minister to those who God has an incredible heart for. If knowing God is so closely tied to caring for the poor and the oppressed, I wonder what he thinks about us in our Western world of prosperity. When we live in this in where we do and you know that's a privilege for us but we actually have 150 times more wealth than the poorest fifth of the world 
you know, from time to time I, I do a teaching at YWAM um, concerning God's heart for the poor and I go into some statistics and I tell you what, the statistics of, of what the US spend on military expense is just incredible. The expense, the, the, the money that the Western world spends on um, ice cream, <laughs> cosmetics, is just incredible compared to one-fifth of the poorest in the world. And, and you know what? We give in our churches and, and predominantly a lot of Christians only give approximately a quarter of a tithe of their income. And I'm, I'm just so, um, I'm so glad that this church has a generous heart from that perspective. As we enjoy our prosperity, can we say that our lifestyles are conformed to Christ more than being conformed to the world? That's another gutsy question, isn't it? Because Romans 12 too says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we can actually come into alignment with God's purpose and God's will for our life. And I think this is, this is a good question that we need to ask ourselves. You know, a lot of the time when you begin to talk about um, ministry to the, to the oppressed or the poor, some people immediately get off on this tangent, ah, oh, but, you know, you, you, it, it's all works. You, you're focusing on works. Yes, we might be focusing on works because that's, that's how we actually achieve things. But we're not earning our salvation through those works. We're actually doing those works because of our salvation, because of our relationship with a loving, caring God. <clears throat> Jesus is very clear. The only way to stand before our, before our God in confidence is through trusting in what Jesus has done on our behalf. We are justified by faith alone, not by any amount of ministry to the people that we minister to. It is a faith perspective. As I, as I do set free care, I am confronted over and over and over again. These people need Jesus. These people that are just... hurt, despised, broken. They need the love of a father. They need the love of a heavenly father that is unconditional in the way that he lavishes his love upon his people, his sons and his daughters. Poverty crushes not just the body, it affects the mind and the spirit of billions of people. 
And when you think about that, poverty is affecting billions of people that God sent Jesus Christ for. He sent His Son to redeem them from the curse of what they're living in. I wonder, what's your position with sharing your faith with those who might be less better off than what you are? You know, when I first started doing set-free care, I... I had a real struggle because I, I had to engage in, in set-free care and set-free care is our, um, our charity arm of where we minister to the poor, where we feed the homeless. And when I first started doing it in 97, it was, it was a real challenge for me because I had to do it as a requirement of my Bible college studies practical, um, hands-on stuff. And when I first went to Set Free Care, I, I just did not know how to identify with these people. In my mind, they were dirty, they were smelly, they were thankless, ungrateful. And... I actually had to get up and deliver a message of hope and encouragement to them. Now, when I first started doing this, my messages weren't of encouragement and hope. I think I did it more to try and big note myself than actually minister to any people. And it got to me because I knew that in, in my eyes and in God's eyes, I was the biggest hypocrite. Here I am doing Bible college and ministering to the poor and I hated them. They intimidated me and I didn't, I didn't know how to relate. And one night it drove me to a place of where I cried out to God and I said, God, I'm a hypocrite. I don't love these people. I don't want to continue to minister in the capacity that I am. And you know what? He gave me the simplest antidote for my problem. That simple thing was, now look at them as I see them. Look at them through my eyes. And so I, I actually had to discover how God saw them. And as I read Scripture, and as I saw what God was saying in His Word, I was, I was undone. But eventually I was able to begin to focus on them and see them. I could look past their outward, thing, outward expression or their, their exterior um, presentation and God began to show me the little the little bits of gold that might be deep inside of them that was pushed down because no one cared two hoots about them to draw that out 
And as I began to see it and just began to draw that out, it changed, it changed how I ministered. I stopped ministering out of a, a requirement to fulfill a Bible college requirement. And I began to minister to them out of a love that Jesus had for them. I tell you what, it's transformed the way that we do set free care. I actually want Winnie to, to come down and, um, and share a bit of her story because she's actually walking, living fruit of what set free care and how set free care ministers. Um, and, and, you know, she's, she's come from a place a long way back um, to a place where now she is like my left hand. Thanks, Val. Um, some people have heard my story, some people haven't, so I'll give you a really brief history. Um, my mum is a single parent. I'm an only child. And when I was quite young, she got quite heavily involved in the occult. And so did I. Um, more, I'm more so than her in the end. Um, some stuff happened. Welfare got involved. We moved to Darwin to be with my nan. My nan was going to church. And I used to go with her. And I remember being about the age of 12. No, I was probably about 11. And there was this gentleman standing up the front. And he was just pouring out his heart and talking about the father's love. And I knew within myself that that's what I wanted and that's what I needed. So I went to the front and I gave my heart to God. And I began a journey which I would now look back and say I was almost like a bipolar Christian. I would literally go from running prayer meetings in my church to running seances in the school, um, depending on where I was emotionally. Because at the same time, we changed churches and a guy started to groom me and in, over the course of my high school years he sexually assaulted me repeatedly um, at many church events and other social activities. Um, so that built on what had already happened in the, in the alcohol because there's a lot of abuse in that and that goes on in that as well. I then became a young adult, started to live my life, sort of was holding it together, pushed a lot of stuff down um, yeah, ran away to Aubrey-Wodonga. God follows you to little country towns. Um, first night I knew, I absolutely knew that I had to go back. It took me a year though to, uh, no, a year and a half to accumulate the funds, get a car and drive myself back across the country. And I got back and I started to face some stuff. I started to unravel some stuff, um, but it wasn't complete and some stuff, other stuff went down in our church and then we got new pastors and I was the youth leader and then I went to another church in Melbourne to do an internship in youth leadership because at that stage there was nothing in Darwin for that sort of stuff. And I knew it was God and I knew it was right. Um, and through that time I then, I also, after my internship I stayed for longer and I finally admitted that I was pretty heavily addicted to drugs and it was the only way emotionally I was coping with life. So I got clean off that. And unfortunately, and no discredit to the church I was going to, um, they 
prayed for me and it was fixed. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Anyway, after about another two years, I ended up here on the Gold Coast. My best friend and her husband lived here and my housing fell apart and where I was meant to live. And so they very graciously said, you're living with us. So they built me a bedroom in the garage. There was a condition though, and that was that I came to church. Yeah, whatever, I can do that. I can turn up to church. I can do that. Been doing it since I was 12. Yep, no problems. Um, for those who were there around back then, um, you probably remember I was very withdrawn. Yep, prickly. Um, you were lucky if you got a hello out of me. You were lucky if you got eye contact out of me. Um, I was very well, very good at hiding myself and guarding myself from anything and everything. Um, after about three months, my best friend sat me down and she said, enough, I can't do this. You are not who I know you are. It's time for something to change. And I looked at her, at that point I was just like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, I don't know what to do. I can't hold down a job. I can't. I was basically having a mental breakdown in all aspects, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Like I was, anyway, she said, okay, I want you to make an appointment to see Edie. I went, all right, I can do that. So I did. <laughs> and I sort of walked in and sort of went blah, 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 blah. And she looked at me. And unlike any other pastor I'd ever encountered and shared stuff with, she said to me, wow, you've had some pain. I was so shocked. I was so, sorry, what? She didn't belittle my pain. She didn't um, tell me that it would be okay. She didn't try and tell me that it was okay or anything like that. She just, wow. So we began a journey of healing. And part of that was I started to get involved in set-free care. There was other things too, like Edie really encouraged me to come to prayer meeting. I kid you not, I'd arrive 10 minutes late and leave 10 minutes early and I would slink in through the sides. <laughs> and for the first little while set-free care, I did the same. But the thing about it was when you're serving in that sort of atmosphere where there's acceptance and it's okay to not be okay, you start to see that there is hope. And this father's love that I heard about when I was 12, I started to see in action. And I started to want it more. And the journey was hard. I spent a year meeting weekly with Edie and praying and I was on meds. And it was a hard journey. Um, but I thank God for the opportunity to serve at Set Free Care during that time and also for people like Edie and other friends I had around me. Because it allowed me to not just experience God's love, but also to see it. And I'm, I'm a very visual person. I, have, I love to see things. And so seeing that in action and seeing people accept me as I was, but loving me enough to know that there was more and something better for my life was just amazing. And it's one of the things I love about Set Free Care now. And I serve with Mal at Set Free Care. And I love that anyone is welcome and that I now have that opportunity to express the Father's heart through Set Free Care. And yes, it's practical. I give them food and I, you know, help get the lunch running and all that sort of stuff. And it's practical. But when you have a, a lady standing in front of you and she goes, she just looks at you as you just pile food on the bench. Here's a pantry pack. Here's a freezer pack. Here, have some extra meat. Have some extra milk. And they just look at you like, why would you give me this? And you're like because it's food but I know that it also is a demonstration of God's love and I love that opportunity we have at Set Free Care so yeah Thanks Winnie 
So part of, part of my desire this morning is to actually uh, move us to a place of where we incorporate ministry to those who are less um, as, as part of a, a, a personal lifestyle, as part of a daily, um, or, it, it's a lifestyle thing. It's who we are, giving love because Jesus first loved us, okay? And so um, I love what Margaret Mead, who was a cultural anthropologist, she said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. You look at any movement that has taken ground, it's, it's always been a minority movement that has changed the face of things. I love what Sean, um, he, he made a statement. He, was, he used to um, run Set Free Care for a couple of years. And during that time, he wrote this down, the heart of Set Free Care. Set Free Care is about relating with real people with real needs and introducing them to a real God who loves them unconditionally. By demonstrating genuine loving care and support to the people in our community, we will transform our community. I believe that. I believe that because I see how people are impacted. I've got another testimony. I'd love to read it, but I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on time. It's, a, it's about one of our um, uh, community service guys that came and um, he had a truckload of hours that he had to work off at Set Free Care. He came initially begrudgingly and um, wasn't happy that he had to work these hours, but he, he had a massive drug addiction um, lost his kids, lost his partner, all sorts of things. After about 12 months of coming to Set Free Care, he saw that we were different. Praise God. I would have been really upset if he would have said after a year of coming to Set Free Care, you guys are no different to any other, anyone else. But he said, you guys are different. I feel accepted and I feel loved here. He's since, I mean, it has been a long road, but he has given his heart to the Lord. He's actually gone from, when he first started coming to us, he was on the streets. He's got himself accommodation. He's actually re-engaged with his children and his mother-in-law. He sees them, uh, actually he takes his kids to school every day and drops them off. He's got a car. He's got a job. He's got some self-esteem because someone, a bunch of people had the audacity to love on him because I tell you what, he was prickly. He was as stiff as a board. You'd go to give him a hug or, or whatever and he'd... But today he waltzes in and he sings with his, he's got his cup of coffee and, and he comes in singing and, and dancing and, and just wants to hug everyone that he sees. What a transformation. Because of the love of God that was shared abroad to him. Unconditionally, unconditionally. Okay. Okay.
So we've actually been, uh, um, we, we've had the in, in, immense privilege to watch people change over time. And it's been so simply done because all we've done is just started a relationship with them. How weird is that? That we'd actually start a relationship with someone, a friendship with someone who was rejected, despised, downtrodden and just bleeding all over the place. We actually affected their environment. You know, I love the Lord's Prayer where it says, your will on earth as it is in heaven. God's will on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. So that's God's will. We have the mandate, the opportunity, the privilege to bring heaven to earth through everyday, ordinary people. I want to leave you with three things on how we should live. Firstly, become aware of the issues that may be present in our community or in your community, in your environment, in the place where you work? What issues are there that you might be able to minister into and bring a message of hope and encouragement that might make people's uh, one person's day different, where they go home thinking, wow, Ben was really nice to me today. Ask questions so that you can prepare yourself to be effective. Ask. It's a foreign thing in our, in our society today to actually ask someone genuinely, how are you doing today? And not settle for the, the brush off. Oh, I'm good. Actually delve a little bit deeper and say, you're a bit different today. You, you, you might seem a little bit on the edge. Delve a bit deeper so that you can actually find out how you can minister hope and encouragement to that person. Secondly, reflect on your own values and lifestyle. Could your lifestyle do with a bit of simplification so that you can invest more time, money, energy, whatever it is, to be able to impact those in need. And thirdly, is there somewhere where you can get involved and actually be a part of ministering to those who are in need? Perhaps a short-term missions trip or maybe take a Thursday off and come and help out at Set Free Care. We'd love to have you come along. There's actually many good organizations that are out there that you, where you can volunteer, where you can actually bring Jesus into an environment to impact. 
Now, I would encourage you to do it through an organization because I see so many people with good intentions do something and they just get taken for a ride. And so I would encourage you, do it through an organization so that you can um, identify all the pitfalls that comes with this sort of a ministry. Because you know what? These people are really street smart and they will take you for a ride. <clears throat> so, in closing, this church is passionate about the mandate that God has given to us. And you know what? That mandate is growing. I mean, since our church merge, um, I, I just feel so much expanded because of the wealth that has come into what was set free. Hey? And crossing point. I believe that we, we actually complement each other. And so our mandate will be that we are going to minister into the poor and the needy. That is not going to change. That's the heart of God. It might be in a way of overseas missions trips. I know that Brad is passionate about that. We have P&G missions um, that, are, that are just in love with um, the P&G people. We've got um, Vanuatu missions as well. And so there's, there's all these different avenues of where you can actually get involved, of where you can sow, and where you can actually go. God's not just looking for our worship within the four walls. In fact, sometimes I, I, I think that just... No, I won't say that. Good. He's looking for our love for him which is demonstrated through our love for others. I love the book that um, Matthew Barnett wrote, The Church Without Walls. The church is not a building, it's you and me. It's the greatest um, group of people on the planet that is able to be mobilised into any given situation. Think about that. That is huge. So, in closing, second closing, third closing, I wasn't counting. God is looking for our love for him, demonstrated through our love for the poor and needy in our world. Would you ask God today to expand your thought processes, your heart pertaining to this matter. You know, it, it's, it's not just the homeless. It's not just the needy. It's not just the orphans. It's not just the widows. It's your neighbours. It's your workmates. 
It's the checkout chick. When you begin to see people through the eyes of God, maybe one day you're just going through the checkout. And like Brad had this morning, just a name, Olivia. Maybe as you're going through the checkout, God just prompts you to, to say something. Or he, he shows you something about the person that you're engaging with or who's, who's putting the stuff through, you, through the bleeper thing. It might be something really simple. Like, gee, you've got amazing eyes. Or, it's not a come online, guys. <laughs> be appropriate. <clears throat> or, or maybe there might be a sense that she's got sore legs or, or, or sore knees or something. Just ask the question. Have you got sore knees? <laughs> no, you don't need to lay hands. You could just stand there. You don't, need to, you don't even need to touch her. Such is the power that we carry within. Okay? Because if you touch her, that can be deemed as inappropriate. Be careful. But, we can step out and we can pray and we can minister. Okay? I'm done. Make justice, love and mercy your priorities. Be part of the solution. Edith, you're part of the solution. Um, just something practically that... No, just something practically about um, in four weeks' time, every year um, we serve a... Christmas lunch, very elaborate lunch on Thursdays to et cetera care to the home, homeless and the needy. And we have lots of single mums come and lots of pensioners come. Um, 150 people roughly we feed on Christmas lunch. And, um, and we always do, we always do a drive here on a Sunday morning, a couple of weeks beforehand, where you actually practically can help with lollies and chips and chickens and all kinds of things. So I just give you a bit of a heads up on that because that is something that you can respond to after Malcolm's word today. And um, we give out toys for the children. We give out elaborate Christmas hampers. God provides every year, like in a abundance and um, and it's so good to be able to give abundantly to people who've hardly got anything and um, so we're we're all in this together and um, so just want to give you guys some heads up for those who haven't been part of that in the previous years so let's just stand put your hand on your heart God, I thank you so much for this company of people. World changes. <laughs> God, I pray that as we just have our hand on our heart, God, that you would be expanding the parameters of our heart to be able to see as you see. God, that you would expand us 
into new realms of generosity. Financially, with our time, with our energies, and with your love. We are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Stick around for a barbie. The sausages are cooking. God bless you. If uh, anyone wants prayer, I would love to pray for you, especially if you want expansion into um, ministering to the, the poor and needy. That would be my blessing.